Hello and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your co-host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Cohen. He's the Vice President of Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Hey, Derek, welcome back after a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, I know. You just kept uh, replacing me with, uh, you know, I'm, uh, what's his name, the brother that went upstairs in Happy Days, and just all of a sudden I get replaced by the Fonz, you know? <laughs> well, we've had just good guests, I mean, you yeah. know, and we and today is no exception. Uh, today we have with us um, Dr. Richard Johnson, Dr. J, as he's known around here uh, at TPPF, and he is the director of the Booker T. Washington Initiative uh, at TPPF, which examines the effects of public policy on African-American communities. Now, you have a very long and storied resume. I won't go through all that, but suffice it to say that you've been uh, chief of staff at both municipal and state governments, chief of staff to a Houston City Council member, another of a, a number of distinguished um, uh, positions in both the 85th and the 86th legislatures. You've worked on, certainly education has been one of your top, top issues, but a number of different issues, healthcare, workforce development, public safety at both the state and local level for a long, long time. Dr. J, welcome to The Right Idea. Yeah, thank you for being here, for, for inviting me to be here, because my best Probably the best thing that I've ever done was work with TPPF, though. Oh, man. Well, the check is in the mail. We will tell our bosses that you said that. Got me some points. <laughs> and speaking of paying some bills, um, I'm going to do a little shameless plug like I always like to do for our weekly newsletter. It's called The Post. It includes exclusive uh, material, includes kind of a wrap-up of what's going on in Texas and kind of TPPF's uh, take on all of that. There's always a little something fun and Texas-oriented at the end. You can get that newsletter if you're not already on it at texaspolicy.com slash The Post. We hope you sign up for that as well. And and since we are going to be talking about school choice today, it's a pretty historic week, uh, which we will talk about. Um, also, uh, would like to promote uh, our, our website that there's all things uh, school choice going on, txparentsmatter.com, txparentsmatter.com. So, but before we get to that and all the issues we want to talk about with Dr. J, uh, Derek, of course, will give us our ledge update and kind of what's going on in now the fourth special session for the 88th legislature. But who's counting, right? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you, so obviously the big item that of of a progress of note uh, since we've last since we last met are the advancement of the border bills right mm -hmm. uh, essentially the uh, SB4 uh, the establishing the penalty for uh, criminal entry and uh, I believe it's SB3 the one uh, that attends uh, that's basically an appropriation bill for border infrastructure um, yeah have passed the uh, have passed the house and it's one of these things where you know we saw the uh you know the usual recriminations uh some rending of garment uh folks who when they tend to take the microphone you know it's just going to be i'm going to impugn the motives of the other side mm -hmm. and look i'm not going to say woo it is but i think that uh you know if you watch the video you could definitely see that i see what you did there yeah and i saw i saw other members as well uh, using really offensive language and essentially you know xenophobic racist all yeah. that kind of stuff well, they're, they're, they're painting this and, you know, like, obviously, I'm not the 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 SME, the subject matter expert on uh, border policy individually, but in kind of this role, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to how these bills work. And so this is getting tarred as the, uh, you know, tarred as the show me your papers uh, mm -hmm. bill, which just obviously is not true because you actually need to have witnessed the illegal ingress. Right. You know, and so obviously, you know, they're like, oh, well, what what's going to happen up in, you know, Dallas or something? And it's like, OK, so. There is a international border in Dallas. That's news to me. Right. That's news to me. Um, and it's just this willful uh, <clears throat> ignorance that I think that these people uh, or that people that are messaging around us, not in the legislature, even outside the legislature, mm -hmm. but it's because it affirms their narrative. And that's that's. 
you know, keeps us from having a productive policy. Debate. One thing I thought was interesting in reading the coverage of this, uh, the the news media was was covering it. You know, I guess they, you know, the news media is against this, and the the mo most of the papers have written that they don't like the policy and all of that. And so, of course, they're using language which is loaded and is is trying to get people on their side and, and pushing their narratives. But but you know, they're just describing the bill, and the bill allows law enforcement to you know arrest people who have committed a crime <laughs> by coming into this country illegally and then returning them to whence they came. I think a lot of Texans, a lot of people would say, wait a minute, that's not already illegal? Or that, that's not already legal? That's not already the process? Well, even look at it like, look at it, what, what, what actually would happen. So this only applies to folks coming in illegally between ports of entry. Mm -hmm. Because they're saying, oh, you're trying to upend the asylum system, all that nonsense. And so they go, okay, well, in the back of the... Uh, what about know, the ones that are coming in outside the ports of entry? Well, no, that's that's the one we're talking about. And that's, that's to the only ones this one actually applies. Yeah. And so... This so you have a lot of people giving themselves up yeah. at the port, yeah. but but the real the, the folks that are in between there that are coming yeah, across so the Eagle the Pass. Yeah, so the individuals we're talking like about, they're the ones who get arrested, taken to a port of entry and said, <laughs> back, you got to come in the right way. And that, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it. But but that's racist and xenophobic and uh, anyway. So it's uh, so um, the good news is both of those bills, for better, for, I mean, or for for um, uh, for more or less, are on their way to the government's to the governor's desk. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> uh, one has a uh, a bit of a procedural uh, element that seems to be corrected, but then or not corrected, but uh, affirmed too, and that's yeah. So is there right. anything else? And I want to get school choice here because that's obviously the big ticket item. Mm -hmm. Is there anything left on the call that is unfinished or that needs to be addressed or that would produce maybe a fifth special session god forbid well no but you also have to keep in mind on uh, the appropriation bill a lot of people think it's just a wall bill you know like money for a wall when it's more for tactical infrastructure which include anything from the buoys we discussed um could include a wall and it also limited it to the counties that it's actually exposed to so mm -hmm. it's again one of these things like oh they're just you know spending money to you know to, to feather bed these pet projects and it's like uh, again, it's the willful ignorance that I think mm -hmm. that uh, is going the most people. All right. So uh, let's turn to the big issue of the day. Um, uh, Dr. Richard Johnson, of course, is with us here, the director of the Booker T. Washington Initiative at TPPF. Today is Thursday. We're recording this. Hopefully we'll get this out You know, by, by tomorrow. So it'll be Friday. On Friday is a historic day. It is the first time in the history of the state that the House of Representatives, that on the floor of the House of Representatives, they will be debating a universal school choice bill. You have been a longtime proponent. You, you, have, you have watched this debate for decades. What, what is that? We're not spiking any balls. But, but what is tomorrow? What is, what is the meaning of tomorrow for you? Hallelujah. <laughs> Start off with hallelujah. I mean, we're, we're literally, we are literally standing at the door of freedom. We are literally standing at the door of freedom and banging our way through. Tomorrow, <laughs> once we get through the door of freedom tomorrow, we will be totally emancipated. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why I utilize that term, we celebrate Juneteenth, and now it's a national holiday. Now, I don't know why everybody else is celebrating Juneteenth, <laughs> but we celebrate Juneteenth in Texas because why? Other folks had gotten the message on January the 1st, 1863, with the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, we here in Texas, African-Americans here in Texas, didn't get the message until June 19th, 1865. Mm -hmm. And so we were late on a train of of on the freedom train mm. 
just just because the message had been held back, smothered, the way you see folks doing school choice right now mm-hmm. in educational freedom. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, unfortunately, most of the African-American legislators are helping to muzzle the mouth of freedom, mm-hmm. the voice of freedom right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because they don't know and don't understand. Now, here's here's the thing. that I think they, that's being very charitable, by the way. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 I think a lot and, of them do know and but, I do but, understand. But, but what what I, what I, what they may not know is a name and the name is Annette Polly Williams. Annette Polly Williams is known as the mother of school choice. She was an African-American legislator, the longest serving legislator in the Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin legislature. And they got their parent choice program enacted in 1990, 33 years ago. And so we and she was an African-American and she was fighting. I'm going to give you a quote from from Representative Williams. The quote is the point was this is her quote. The point was always to empower parents and improve education for black children. That's what she was trying to do with mm-hmm. school choice mm-hmm. and parent empowerment. But my question to the African-American legislators here in Texas is, where are you? Where are you when Texas Southern University, Rice University, the University of Houston researchers get together and conducted a survey across the state of Texas and found that the, lo- the group that had the largest am- amount of support for parent empowerment and school choice were African-Americans. And we have 17 African-Americans not championing this bill. Mm-hmm. Where are you tomorrow as we stand at the door of freedom? My question to them is, where are they? Where's the voices of all these African-Americans? Over 60, over 79% of black millennials in this study, 79% support school choice. Now, Dr. J, you are a, you are a community leader. I mean, you're part of our engagement team, um, and you're based out of Houston. Um, and that's what you do. You wake up every day and you go out into the community and you talk about all a lot of issues. Um, mm-hmm. You you say, have said, and I'm not spoiling anything here. You have said that school choice is the number one issue, or the education improvement, really education quality, is the number one issue uh, in the African American uh, community. So, what are you hearing? What are you hearing from the community on these issues? And also the civil rights movement of our time mm. and thank god i've been quoted <laughs> by many on that <laughs> but you Including know Ted cruz i saw him say it the other day so hey, you know you know there's nothing you can't accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit so i guess we'll... exactly you know but i just thought i'd throw that out <laughs> you there, throw that out there. <laughs> he knows the center knows a good thing absolutely <laughs> but uh but what do you hear i mean what are you hearing in these communities do they know that the 17 legislators are opposed to it? like what how that's do you the message that? that i'm i've been working so hard lately to get out and and good good thing for this study those researchers you know texas southern university is a historically black university Mm -hmm. one of the largest we have in the state Mm -hmm. and to partner with rice university and university of houston so this shows that this is a non-biased study you know it's not democrats not republican it's not liberal it's not conservative Mm -hmm. it's just what what people are saying and what they're feeling across the state of texas and what in particularly what african-americans are saying African-Americans want school's choice. Mm-hmm. 
my biggest job and my biggest challenge is being able to get that message into the minds of of the state representatives, their 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 elected officials. Mm-hmm. And 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 they've been doing that. There's been a grassroots swell, not just around Texas, but around America for conservative views. Because if you if you look at the the uh, the New York Times, we don't like to talk about them too much, but <laughs> but their their study. People re- that around here read it so that you don't have to. I'm exactly, gonna, gonna exactly. Yeah. I only look at the numbers, and if some <laughs> if some pops out like twenty two percent of African Americans are now moving toward a conservative way of thinking. Yeah, that right. tells me that look. The message is getting out into the grassroots. It's not happening overnight, but we certainly need to put more and more energy and resources toward getting our message out because it's resonating in the black community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Derek, you know, just mm-hmm. as just looking from like a procedural standpoint, mm-hmm. I mean, it's taken four special sessions now, mm-hmm. um, you know, didn't make a lot of progress in the regular session, worked on some other things like property taxes in the first two. I mean, mm-hmm. is now the time? I mean, are you seeing, you know, hearing on the ground? I mean, this is historic. Mm-hmm. It, it, it got to the floor. Finally, this is mm-hmm. some, this is a day that, that a lot of people said would never happen. Even mm-hmm. people on our side, maybe, maybe in <laughs> private rooms uh, said that this would never happen and here we are. Well, I think you have to look at, you know, that particular prognosis is not a bad prognosis if you just take, you know, historical factors into account. You know, for so long and through so many uh, legislative sessions, the Public Education Committee has been controlled by people with what I'm going to charitably put that as people with prevailing interest in the public education school system. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying people that are pro-public education, but I'm saying people who have a dog in the fight in one way or another. Say they were a former school board uh, member or, you know, taught like one section of third grade once back in the day and you milk that for a couple of years. That tends to be the people that get sent to the committee. And obviously, if it comes to a thing about defending the status quo, that's going to be the folks that defend the status quo and the status quo is never going to change. Now, mm-hmm. let's apply that to now. You know, and I, I can't stress enough how well uh, Chairman Buckley has done, not just from, you know, our, pers- our, our, our pro school choice perspective, but how well he and his staff have done getting this discussion going, ensuring that the right folks are being interacted with, in, say, in the governor's office any other chamber you know chairman buckley has done yeoman's work on actually you know we don't we don't see this coming out of washington dc much anymore but actually legislating and taking the feedback of all parties involved now i would say that some of those parties have had their feedback uh, probably taken into account for longer than necessary uh see my earlier comments mm. but that being said there still is um uh, you know room for this uh debate to happen on the floor and i believe that's kind of what we see coming to a head you know richard talking about being on the doorstep of liberty i think that we are on the doorstep of a titanic uh battle on the floor i don't think anybody would say would say otherwise but that is something that because of procedural chicanery for years past has never been the case there has never mm-hmm. been that discussion of so the folks that are going that commonly say oh schools are underfunded oh that was another thing i saw uh that i just thought was absolutely precious uh this individual on the uh, text ledge twitter who's talking about well this only gets uh you know with with all this extra money that's going in they're like oh this only gets uh up to uh, you know 2020s and inf- or 2020 inflation. It's like what happened in 2020 that caused inflation. <laughs> you know we can talk about that at a different time. We'll talk about that at a different time. But any- yeah. but anyway, it's like okay, look, this is definitely set up to, to so to the point where like look, your uh, pushback on the state share of school funding 
against this particular bill is just not it no longer valid mm-hmm. completely no longer valid now there's other things that you know, you know legacy programs like testing or recapture uh, i'm not right uh, robin hood you know stuff like that those are all um you know those are all conversations that still do apply even though their sting is far far mitigated here with this particular bill sure. but the one thing the one thing brian to your point that you bring up all the time is Every time we've had this discussion, it's how big the check we're just going to cut this. We're not going to change anything. We're just going to talk about where, you know, how many zeros and commas. That's all we're talking about. Yeah. Those, those days are gone. Those days are gone. In fact, I would say that even if they, uh, even if there's a floor action to strip out the educational savings account, you know, again, that's such a minute part of this particular bill that it just shows that the house wants to take you know they want to take the money without any of the additional improvements that would uh, herald in through that uh, that particular take process. all the money and leave the parents behind as it, always <laughs> and, I, and i think that both the lieutenant governor and the governor have made it very clear that that is not a, a possible outcome one of the criticisms uh dr johnson uh, that we hear all the time is that um, this will just be a subsidy for, and sometimes they use a, the subtext, sometimes they don't, but they'll basically say, this is just a subsidy for rich white parents to send their kids to private school. Um, how do you address How do you address that? What, what would this mean for communities that are not rich white parents sending their, their kids to private school? First of all, I think, I think rich white white parents are doing pretty good you know on their own i mean they don't really need the help i mean Mm. and uh, but but what it would do for for folks who are in the low-income area it would create an opportunity one for kids to be able parents to be able to take their children where they see that the need would be best met Mm -hmm. number one number two it would create an opportunity for the state of texas to live up to Article 7 of our own Constitution, which says that the legislature must provide, it says shall, which means must provide a free and efficient education for every child. It doesn't say that the legislature must uh, fund this institution or fund that institution. It says that the edu- the, the, the onus is on, rest on the shoulders of the legislators to provide a free and efficient education. And efficient is the operative term mm-hmm. Yeah, you here. jump into that. Yeah, efficient is the operative term because there are some of our kids who are getting a great efficient education, they, better mm-hmm. than efficient. They're getting a wonderful education in the public system. But there's there's a segment of our of our students, our kids, which we've seen, you know, through the demonstration of of of, of dropout rates, school to prison pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, uh, folks dropping out of education, dropping into criminal justice, mm-hmm. creating an unsafe environment, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 we looked at those those numbers, and we looked at at the folks who are in the criminal justice system, and we've traced those traced them back those zip codes back to the the areas in, from where they came, mm-hmm. and. Though 99% of those zip codes are leading back to to areas and communities where there is a failing school. Mm-hmm. Over 70% of the folks who are incarcerated right now are reading at a third and fourth grade level. Mm-hmm. So there's a direct correlation between chronically failing schools, that's mm-hmm. why they call it school to prison pipeline, and, and folks who are going into the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So we... 
if we want to prevent folks from going into the criminal justice system, right. then what we want to do is focus in on those areas where they're chronically failing schools and people are trapped into a zip code and you have to send your kid there. Right. If we have ESAs, those parents who recognize that this is a this is a school to prison pipeline will pull their kid out and put them into a place where yeah. they can be best well, suited. One of the implications, and and uh, not to get too dour here, but it, but I find it a little insulting. I'm not a little, but it is insulting. I think one of the implications is that folks in low income areas or folks that go to the schools that you described wouldn't wouldn't take the time, wouldn't take the initiative mm. to, to figure this out and send their kid to a different school. That's pretty school. elitist, man. That, 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 yeah, the, the elites were like, wait a minute. You know, I, 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 like it's not, you like said, a, I, not like a Pflugerville board member would say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you made a point because I've gone around the state. I've gone around the state and I've talked to groups all around the state. And, I've, and I've, I can remember like it was two seconds ago, I was in a debate with a, with a young lady and and I say it was out in the Katy area, <laughs> but but not uh, naming any names, not naming Karen. any names, I'm but uh, but but <laughs> her statement was, well, even if you gave it to them, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Wow. Oh, wow. Said you that. Know, huh? She said that. Yes. Oh, even if you God. know if if you gave it to them, they wouldn't know what to do with it, and most of them wouldn't use it anyway. And I said, well, why are you arguing against it? Give it to them and let's try. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, well, the in the in the story that, that Derek is referencing, there was the vice chairman of the Fugerville, uh School Board that basically said, you know, uh, uh, one of the one of the members of the House was questioning her in, in testimony and said, well, wh you know, why do you think why do you think these kids are leaving your schools and going to charters? Because she was complaining about charter expansion, and she said, well, because because especially um, Hispanic kids or Hispanic families are being manipulated by the system, essentially is, you know, suggesting that they're too stupid or, or dumb to understand what's happening mm -hmm. and, and that they're being manipulated into, into yeah. essentially choosing charter schools. Well, the acts of tyranny throughout history have already, uh, have almost uniformly come with the divestment of agency from collective groups. So. <laughs> yeah. it, it, I'll have it, to it, unpack that later in yeah, the yeah, when yeah, I rewatch yeah. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but but he, he, here's the thing that I want, I want us to talk, want us, I want to bring up as well is we, we we're having folks on the left come out and and I was uh I was at the committee meeting the other night and, and folks on the left was this is a scam this is a scam and you know now well, they, the the bad but, signal went up voucher scam voucher it, scam yeah, yeah. And, and but but here's the thing this is some form of school choice is now in over thirty states over thirty states across America we're a little late on the train. Obviously. To your analogy earlier about yeah, 19, yeah, 1865. Yeah, exactly. We were a little <laughs> late on that train. Yeah. <laughs> and but he, here's what's what's heartening is is when I hear when I hear African Americans, you know, parroting that that narrative that that this is a scam. And 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 the reason why I'm saying that because I heard that from one of our one of our legislators in the Houston area that's a member of the Black Caucus, who I know very well. And he's saying, well, this is a scam. This is going to be for rich, you know, rich white parents, this that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And we should stay with support our, our public schools. And I said, well, wait a minute. I know you and I know you very well. And you did not go to a public school. You graduated from a from a predominantly white private school. Mm -hmm. So why are you trying to step step in the way of parents having freedom within your own district mm -hmm. to do exactly what you did because it with this with ESAs well it's not going to pay for everything well 
if you look at the 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 average cost for private school in the state of Texas is a little under ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year. The ESAs right now in, in HB1 is $10,500. Mm-hmm. That would take care of the average. I would now, even go further. I mean, I we had a special edition um, uh, podcast where we brought in folks who, you know, activists who were who were here supporting school choice. And many of them either worked for or actually ran a private school in a low income area. Mm-hmm. And it was like 12, one of them was $1,200 a year to go to their right. private school. And even that, of course, $100 a month was still too much for a lot of parents in that area. Um, but, you know, we're not even talking. You're just talking averages. There's a lot of private schools uh, that absolutely would be affordable uh, uh, with that ESA. But I, I want to add, though, because I think that this is a, a bit of a, a bit of a, some prestidigitation, some sleight of hand that a lot of the Democrats want to play with this specific with the with the, the private school argument is that the reason because, you know, the whole voucher thing that that. If it were truly a voucher, as we've discussed before, then, yeah, that w- there'd be some legitimacy to that argument that would only apply to private schools. But this applies if you look at the actual construction, what's eligible, both in, you know, uh, what, what was SB8 and, you know, what became um, you know, HB1. It's the actual ESA mechanism covers right. so much mm-hmm. that right. isn't just tuition. Yeah. It calls mm-hmm. it supportive service. You know, this is the thing. This doesn't even mean somebody's going to actually get out of the public school. What if somebody is being well served in the public school, but has a pronounced special need that that particular public school cannot accommodate? Mm-hmm. And there is a happens to be a, some sort of therapeutic supportive service, whatever the case might be. That would be the only element of that particular ESA that would need to be tapped into. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of flexibility that this would offer. But again, calling it vouchers is because it just reiterates this whole, you know, this whole class, racial slash class uh, warfare dynamic that they've pinned basically the future of their uh, political movement on. But, wanna, let me, let me yeah, just yeah. ask. But, you know, what's, what's the problem with a parent taking their kid out? Just take them out. I'm a taxpayer. You know, shouldn't I have the freedom to send my kid wherever I want to send my kid? You know, I struggled through that uh, little personal story. I struggled through that. I... I, I was not Dr. Johnson at that time. My wife came home and she said to me, she said, Richard, I, I see a study here that says that kids do better uh, if they go to a private religious-based school uh, in their formative years, their foundation years. And and I argued to the hilt uh, against it because I didn't want to pay the money because I didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. I said, where are we going to get the money? She said, you're going to get another job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that, that means I have to work two jobs. Mm. And I said, well, why can't some of the money I'm paying in all these taxes over here help me out just a little bit over here because my wife has made this choice. Mm-hmm. Now I'm making a choice because my yeah. wife has made this choice. And uh, it's the best argument that I ever lost in my entire life. Uh, those kids, my kids turned out, I want to say perfect, but perfect <laughs> in terms of, you, you have know. very high standards, Dr. J, so that's yeah, why. But, but, the thing, but I wasn't Dr. J then, you know, I was just Richard. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the thing is, that, that happened about 25 years ago. And I became a supporter of, of school choice and parental freedom 25 years ago. And I was just blessed to find, you know, 
you guys, you know, who are already out here fighting for it. And I'm like, wow, I can get on this team and we can really get this thing across the finish line. Now, I want to switch to a point and get your your feedback and touch on this. You know, despite all of the the disagreement on the two sides on what ESAs do and, you know, they're going to destroy public schools and, you know, eliminate high school football and all these, you know. That's against the science, though. Ridiculous. They should follow the science. <laughs> who used to say that? Yeah, Those guys on the left? Yeah, hey, exactly. Follow the science. Stick the needle well, in your once they, once they get a uh, once they get a multiple a multicolor yard sign that says in this house you know public education dollars you know uh-huh. and so on and so forth then we'll we'll have that debate then I suppose um, so uh, but but there is despite all the disagreement there is one point on which both sides agree and that is that if given the opportunity hundreds of thousands potentially millions of families would choose something other than than what their local public school is offering. Right, uh, of course. potentially millions would make this choice, and and I know the people on the left will say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." No, you, you, fundamentally, your argument about defunding public schools relies on the fact that you're saying that tens of thousands, if not potentially millions, of families are going to leave the public school system. The question is why. Yeah. Why would parents want to make that decision? Why? And, and this is a question that you cannot get an answer to. <laughs> On the left. So have you in your private meetings or, you know, because I know you meet with legislators on both sides or whatever. Do you address this issue and say, look, even you admit in your own arguments that 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 hundreds of thousands of families across Texas would want to choose something other than what they're being offered at their public schools. Do you ever stop and think about why that is, sir? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever get to wait, ask wait, those questions? Wait, wait. Yes, <laughs> yes. Do you ever get an matter, answer matter, straight matter answer? Fact, that's part of my lead-in. Was <laughs> <No. laughs> you, you, you were on over that softball, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just rolled that I mean, What do they say? Like, yeah, I know, but the unions, you know, they're, they're paying for yeah, my campaign. Yeah, I mean, yeah, do you yeah. ever get an honest answer out of people? Yes, I get an honest answer also. But the thing about it is, for most of them, the way that the way that I put the question is, look, you didn't go you didn't go to public school. Or if you went, your children don't didn't go to public school. Why don't you why do you think that folks why do you, why aren't you why aren't your kids in public school? Right. Because they're gonna get a better education over here. I say, but look. And, and and here's what the answer most of the time always is, is because they've gone to the public schools, they've gone to the superintendents, they've gone to the school boards, and and, and the school the public schools are failing to change because they don't have any reason to change. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't have a reason to change. There's no incentive because guess what? Kids are locked into their zip codes. They're going to come there anyway. It's a, it's a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And so what, what, what school choice does and what ESAs will do is really help and the studies show there's a 25 year study that shows that that public schools near a choice school the public school when you place them in the same area the public school actually gets better Mm -hmm. because of the competition because if you see people having the freedom to walk away and go somewhere better the first thing you're going to do is go find out what they're doing and then you're going to start doing it too because you're losing your customers Mm -hmm. but the answer to your question is most of them will tell me the truth because I've I've been in this in this world a long time, this mm-hmm. this political world a long time. So I know a lot of their background. And I know a lot of their families. <laughs> you had you had dinner in their house. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we met their kids. And, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> there's a reason why I did not send my children to the schools that I went to. Schools change, man. 
from from if you go back in the 50s and the 60s, you know, our public schools had a high standard. The Barbara Jordans, you know, the Mickey Lelands, all of your your top leaders came out of those public schools mm -hmm. because, you know, most of most when I was in elementary school, I had teachers who had written books. And so and it was in an all black community. Yeah. And so they 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 had a high standard for education. Well, things have changed. And and that standard is not there in certain areas now. And we have to modify what we're doing to reform that system and get it back to where it was. I call it back to the future mm. in terms of academic uh, standards and academic performance. Yeah, let me just end that because I think you bring up a really good point because this – we're 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 encroaching on, and I can I can sense them saying, "Oh yes, well, fall into our trap that yes, that is a community that'll be rent asunder if we you know had school choice and allowed people to leave the you know people would leave these schools." When in fact, it's quite the opposite, as you as you identified, Doctor J, because you know one of the things going all the way back to you know Edmund Burke that conservatives understand is the idea of community, a voluntary community, you know, and there's an is it a voluntary community? If, to your point, they are completely locked into one building because of where their zip code is, mm -hmm. or is it one where they can find a community that best suits them? You know, maybe maybe it is in, you know, a, a, a Catholic school. Maybe it is in a uh, private, uh, you know, a country day school, which obviously usually probably need uh, more than just the ESA to, to, to cover that. But yeah, but having that flexibility or have at least that flexibility more attainable does facilitate that community building. I think, thank you for teeing that up for me, too. <laughs> Talk about a softball. That's what we're here for. That's the, yeah, the thank, whole Yeah, thank you for teeing that up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, most of our communities have a church in them. And and I've talked what I have done is I've talked to a lot of pastors. Mm. I've talked to a lot of pastors across the state of Texas. And some of them had started their own schools but didn't have the resources to sustain them over time. They mm. would they'd start a school and, and it'll last about five years and not have the resources to sustain it in the low income areas, very needy areas. But they have facilities. They they have an infrastructure in place already in most of those areas where we see the dip in academic performance. Like I can tell you in most of uh, most of the inner city uh, legislative districts, the inner city, large urban centers, kids are reading at, at about a maybe 30 percent of them are reading at grade level. And, and the same thing with doing math at grade level. Mm -hmm. And so those those kids in those areas are struggling. And and we see that you mentioned the Catholic schools and the and the religious based schools. That is the only group that did not suffer learning loss during during uh, COVID. Mm. Matter of fact, reading went up one one point. Math stayed flat, but in the public schools, math went down nine percentage Huge. points. Yeah, it was like I think statewide it was around like thirty nine percent could do math at great level. Exactly, after the and, and you're talking <clears throat> about fifteen years of learning loss. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's something to be said when you have a successful model. Find out what they're doing, and 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 mimic it in your own system. 
but there's no incentive right now in the public. I, I want to touch area. on that here because this is something that I think that you can really speak to. Um, you know, as the longer that this debate stretches out, and you know, they have their sort of like you know chief arguments against you know why they why the opponents of, of school choice, and and none of them really stand up. The defund thing doesn't stand up. The whole program would be five hundred million dollars. We spend almost ninety billion dollars on public education uh, in this state, so there, there's no defunding going on. The accountability issues. I mean, obviously private schools are accountable because they have to be accredited. Certainly parents are holding the, the private schools accountable. So none of these arguments really stand up. And so there's really filtering down into some of some of what I think are, are some of the underbelly and the really extreme and nasty reasons why people oppose this. And one of them that's coming up is they don't want you to use public dollars or their dollars or what have you to send kids to uh, religious schools to get a Christian uh, education or Christian based or faith based education. Have you experienced that in in uh, you know in dealing with folks who are opposed to school choice? And how do you handle those kinds of comments? Which you know even 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 if they're trying to be charitable, just come off as incredibly bigoted and, and anti um, anti Christian. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The main thing is you know my 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 comment back to that argument do what works mm-hmm. you see we're, we're not here to fund institutions that's not that's not what article 7 says it says every child we're here to fund children we're here to educate children and so we're not here to to, to pay big superintendent superintendent salaries mm-hmm. and send them all over the world we're not here to cater to the unions those are all groups that's not children mm-hmm. And, and I do hear that argument. And, and my com- another comeback is those folks who go to those churches, they're taxpayers, too. See, Texas is not a payroll tax state. We're a sales tax state. Mm-hmm. And so even that poor mother, that poor mother who may be on food stamps, may be on, on assistance, that poor mother that goes and buys a loaf of bread has just put into the education coffer. Mm. She has something, she has a right to say something. She has yeah. a right to choose and a right to have that freedom to do so. And, and, and what this is all about, Brian, is not school choice, not Democrat, Republican. What this is all about is, this is all about freedom. This is about liberty. And that's the reason why TPPF is the voice out here now screaming the loudest for liberty and freedom. Because there are other folks who are trying to muzzle that voice in the last vestige of slavery is is about to be removed. And if you can't, if a person can, I said this to the 100 black men of Metropolitan Houston two nights ago. When I asked him, I said, raise your hand if you control your own destiny. And these are the successful black men in Houston. All of them raised their hand. I said, well, raise your hand if you have any control over your education system, over the education system where your kids are going. Nobody raised their hand. And I said, you're not controlling your destiny because you're not the future. Your children are the future. And when you are able to have some say over the direction of their education then you're controlling your own destiny and you're controlling your own future and until we do that until we have that freedom that freedom we in texas are not totally 100 percent free 
30 over 30 other states are experiencing that freedom right now. And I told them because our headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia. I said the guys in Atlanta, Georgia are laughing at us. You know why? Because Atlanta, Georgia and Georgia has school choice. They have parental empowerment and freedom. They can say where their kid goes to school and their tax dollars follow a kid. We can't do that. Well said. Well, well said. Um, we're closing in on kind of the, the end of our of our stuff. So I want to get to kind of the, your predictions of kind of how this is going to go. Um, any hijinks or anything, <laughs> Derek, that you think that uh, uh, that may go on the floor that we could expect uh, to see tomorrow? Can I? Uh, so, so if I understand the question correctly, you're asking me if there's going to be chicanery and hijinks, <laughs> when, fighting, uh, yeah. you know, points of point order, yes, well, I mean, awful things that we need to get rid of. I'll, I'll tell you though. So I've always, I've, all, I mean, I've, I definitely trust. Uh, you know, the governor is using the bully pulpit and other, uh, other methods that is. Uh, discretion uh to you know to to push through a legislative a legislative priority and i don't think that's changed what i do think's changed and uh, conversations i've had in the last couple of days that i have i actually have a more sunny up the uh, sunny disposition on this uh on the prospect of this particular uh item going through now is there going to be you know somebody to try to strip out the uh, t uh i'm sorry uh, esas uh but not touching the money you know, yeah, I, I think that we can safely bet that that'll at least uh, happen. What are the votes are there? I'm even hearing some things that the votes, you know, to uh, to remove it might not be there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. That's I, 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 w I wouldn't be in my position if I was uh, that doughy eyed of an optimist. Um, <laughs> but that being said, even so, let's let's kind of game this out. Let's say that they do get uh, put on the floor or I'm sorry, it does get taken out on a floor sent to the Senate. There's no way the Senate is going to go, okay, we're just going to take the extant system and just, you know, just rain the cash over it. You know, there's no there's no way that can happen. So they're going to, you know, they very well may put it back in. Now, here's the question, though, is, okay, if they put it back in, you know, remember what happened? Remember what happened with apprenticeships? Remember what happened with uh, uh, 4390? And, of course, it comes to mind because, you know, certain uh, elements of the labor movement uh, were – you know, acting up in that particular right. debate as well. You know, they say, okay, well, if it comes out and they put it back in, it's therefore not germane. It's like, well, first of all, if you want to kill the entire bill because, or, you know, and all that money that attends to that because you feel that's not germane, best of luck to that. But my analysis is on, on the parliamentary side is that's already subsumed. That ESA section's already subsumed in the larger financial part. Because keep in mind, HB1 is a broad, broad bill. It right. is a very, very big bill. That, that umbrella would cover that ESA component. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it is my contention that, that even if that is what goes on, that this would have to be an up-down vote following a conference committee report that they actually establish that back in there with. We will be uh, attuned tomorrow to see what, what happens. Richard, I want to give you the last word uh, uh, here um, on this. You know, uh, the governor said, the governor used a sports analogy, he used a football analogy when he talked to, to uh, publicly about this, and he says, you know, we're very close. We're right there. We're on the one-yard line. We just need to punch it in. But then he but then he punctuates that by saying the difference between football and, and this fight over over educational freedom is there is no time clock here 
and I can keep calling session after session after session. So what is your message to the to the activists, to the folks who are going to show up tomorrow and 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 plead their case to their to their members? What is your message to the activists uh, on this fight um, and and kind of what they're working on right now? And and what happens if if you know something happens and we don't get it over the finish line or get it over the 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 goal line this time? What's your message to the, to the people of Texas on on this fight? To the people of Texas, I would say this is our Lincoln moment. This is this is our Abraham Lincoln moment. And when when Lincoln looked, gazed into his scope for the American future and then looked behind him with the to look at the intent of the founders of our nation. And that is for all of us to be free. Freedom is the paramount fight here. Education is one part of it, one sector of it. There are many different sectors of freedom, but until we overcome that that bondage that we're experiencing right now in education across the state of Texas, we will not be free. Because we, with freedom, educational freedom, parents have the right, it becomes a right now, to choose the best educational options for your child. And every study shows that when parents have the right and the freedom to make that choice, the children do better and the public schools do better. One thing I've not heard, I've not heard one person fighting for ESAs to say that we should not fund public schools. But what I've heard people who work for public school systems who who are fighting for more funding for public school systems, they will fight against ESAs. So for us, it's not either school choice or public schools. It's both and. Mm-hmm. It's public schools and school cho- and, and, and private schools and home schools and whatever works best for educating the child. That's what it is for us. And to Texans out there who are listening to this, Please know that your your voice may be muzzled in many different places when you cry out for freedom. But here at Texas Public Policy Foundation, we will amplify amplify the voice of freedom, your voices. And we know African-Americans, you're not being heard by your legislators. Your, their le- your legislators are saying go this way. The data says you're go, you're going this way to support school choice and parental, parental parental rights and parental freedom. Bring us your voice and we'll be your voice going forward because this fight will end and we will win it. And it's great that the governor said that no matter how long it takes us, we're going to win this fight. But there are going to be other fights. There are going to be other issues that your voice not be may not be being heard, but it'll be heard here for freedom. Amen to that. Dr. Richard Johnson, the director of our Booker T. Washington initiative at the TPPF. And if you want your voice heard, a good way to do that is with is through that website I mentioned, txparentsmatter.com, txparentsmatter.com. There's a button right there on the front that says Take Action, and it'll put you in touch with who you put in your address. It'll tell you who your representatives are. It'll even connect you if you need to uh, to, to, to send that message that Dr. Johnson uh, so eloquently gave us uh, here today. 
Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being this. This was a thank really special treat. Uh, Derek, as always, thanks for being here and, and your uh, quality insight in that. Uh, and thank you for, for watching and for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback. We appreciate uh, all the folks who listen in and, and watch every week. Um, and so thank you for being here and thank you for, for being part of this. And as I like to say, in the words of Sam Houston, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time. <laughs>